Chapter Fourteen of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Fourteen: A Well-Meaning Man. The western horizon vied with the autumn foliage as at last they turned homeward. Their path led out upon the main road some distance above the house, and laden with the spoils that would greatly diminish the squirrel's hoard for the coming winter they sauntered along slowly from a sense of both weariness and leisure they soon reached the cottage of the lame old man who had fired such a broadside of lurid words at gregory as he stood on the fence opposite with a crutch under one arm and leaning on his gate daddy tugger seemed awaiting them and secured their attention by the laconic salutation evenin why daddy exclaimed annie coming quickly toward him i am real glad to see you so spry and well it seems to me that you are getting young again and she took the old man's hand heartily now don't praise my old graveyard of a body miss annie my spirit is pert enough but it's all buried up under this clumsy half-dead carcass the worms will close their mortgage on it pretty soon but they haven't a mortgage on your soul said annie in a low tone you remember what i said to you a few days ago now bless you miss annie but it takes you to put a word in season the lord knows i'm a well-meanin man but i can't seem to get much further i've had an awful fall from grace my wife says i try to stop swearin but that chap there oh excuse me interrupted annie mr gregory this is our friend and neighbor mr tugger i was under the impression that you were acquainted she added with a mischievous look at her companion we are i have met this gentleman before he replied with a wry face pardon the interruption mr tugger and please go on with your explanation mr gregory i owe you apology i'm a well-meanin man and if i do any one a wrong i'm a willin to own up to it and do the square thing but i mean right by you and i meant right by john walton when i thought you was stealin his apples i couldn't hit yer with a stun and knock yer off the fence as i might a dozen years ago so i took the next hardest thing i could lay my hands on if i'd known that you was kinder one of the family my words would have been rolls of butter well mr tugger it has turned out very well for i would rather you have fired what you did than either stones or butter now my wife would say that that speech showed you was totally depraved and this brings me back to my fall from grace now yer see to please my wife some and miss Eulie more i was trying cussed hard to stop swearin didn't you try a little for my sake too interrupted annie lord bless you child i don't have to try when you're around for i don't think swearin most folks rile me and i get a thinkin swearin and then fore i know it it busts right out you could take the wickedest cuss livin to heaven in spite of himself if you would stay right by him all the time i should rile you too if i were with you long for i get riled myself sometimes do you now asked mr tugger looking at her admiringly well i'm mighty glad to hear it oh daddy glad to hear that i do wrong can't help it miss annie i kinder like to know you're a little bit of a sinner tain't often i meet with a sinner and i kinder like em my wife says she's a great sinner but she means she's a great saint twouldn't do for me to tell her she's a sinner then miss eulie says she's a great sinner and between you and me that's the only fib i ever caught miss eulie in good lord there's no more sin in miss eulie's heart than there's specks of dirt on the little white ruff she wears about her neck that looks like the snow we had last april around the white hyacinths she's kind of a half-spirit anyhow now your goodness miss annie is another kind your cheeks are so red and eyes so black and arms so round and fat i've seen em when you was over here a beatin up good things for the old man that you make me think of red and pink posies 
I kind of think you might be a little bit of a sinner, just enough, you know, to make you understand how I and him there can be mighty big ones and not be too hard on us for it. Mr. Tugger, you are the man of all others to plead my cause. Now look here, young gentleman, you must do your own pleading. It would be a sinful waste of time, though, as my wife would say, eh, Miss Annie? I never had no luck at pleading but once, and that was the worst luck of all. Annie's face might well suggest red posies during the last remarks, and its expression was divided between a frown and a laugh. "'But I want you to understand,' continued Daddy Tugger, straightening himself up with dignity and addressing Gregory, "'that I'm not a mean cuss. All who know me know I'm a well-meaning man. I try to do as I've been done by, and if I'm going through a man's field and find his bars down so the cattle would get in the corn, I'd put him up. "'Yes, Daddy, that is what you always say,' interrupted Annie. "'But you can't go through fields any more and put up bars. "'You should try to do the duties that belong to your present state.' "'But I've got the spirit to put up a man's bars, "'and it's all the same as if I did put em up,' answered the old man with some irritation. "'Miss Eulie and the rest of yours all is saying we must have the spirit of willingness "'to give up the whole world and suffer martyrdom on what looks in the picture like a big gridiron she says we must have the spirit of them who was cold and hungry and the lions et up and was sawn in two pieces and had an awful time generally for the sake of the lord and that's the way the christians manage it nowadays my wife gets all the money she can and keeps it but she says she has the spirit to give up the whole world i wish she'd give up enough of it to keep me in good terbacker mighty few nice bits would the old man get wasn't for you and miss Eulie. Then I watch the good people goin' to church. Mazin' few out wet Sundays, but no doubt they've all got the spirit to go. They would just as lief be sawn in two pieces in spirit as not, if they can only sleep late in the mornin' and have a good dinner and save their Sunday go to meetin' clothes from gettin' wet. But it must be so, for the Lord gets mighty little worship out of the church on rainy Sundays. If it wasn't for you and Miss Eulie, I don't know what would become of the old man and all the rest of the sick and feeble folks around here. I asked my wife why she doesn't go to see him sometimes. She says she has the spirit to go, but she hasn't time and strength. So I have the spirit to put up a man's bars while I sit here and smoke. And what's more, Miss Annie, I did it as long as I was able. You did indeed, Daddy, and though unintentionally you have given me a good lesson. We little deserve to be mentioned with those Christians who in olden times suffered the loss of all things and life itself. Lord bless you, child, I didn't mean you. Whether you've got the spirit to do a thing or not, you're all as do it, and in sweet and natural way, as if you couldn't help it. When my wife enters on a good work, it makes me think of a funeral. I'm amazing glad you didn't live in old times, cause the lions would have got you sure enough. Though if it had to be, I would kinder like to have been the lion. And the old man's eyes twinkled humorously, while Gregory laughed heartily. Oh, Daddy Tugger, exclaimed Annie, that is the most awful compliment I ever received. If you, with your spirit, were the only lion I had to deal with, I should never become a martyr. You shall have some jelly instead, and now I must go home in order to have it made before Sunday. Wait a moment, said Gregory. You were about to tell us how I caused you to fall from grace. So I was, so I was, and I've been going round Robin Hood's barn ever since. Well, I've been holding in on my swearing a long time, cause I promised Miss Eulie I'd stop if I could. My wife said I was in quite a hopeful state, while I felt all the time as if it was sort of bottled up and the cork might fly out any minute. Miss Eulie, she came and rejoiced over me that morning, and my wife, she looks so solemn, she allers does when she says she feels glad, that somehow I got nervous. And then my wife went to the store and didn't get the kind of tobacco I sent for, and I knew the cork was going to fly out. I was smoking and in sort of a doze, when the first thing I knowed a big stun rolled into the road, and there I saw a strange chap 
as I thought, a stealin' John Walton's apples and knockin' down the fence. If they'd have been my apples, I might have held in a little longer. But John Walton's, it was like a damn given way. It was indeed, said Gregory significantly. It was like several. I know my wife heard me, and if she'd come right out and said, You've made a cussed old fool of yourself, I think I would have felt better. I knowed she was going to speak about it and lament over it, and I wanted her to do it right away, but she put it off and kept me on pins and needles for ever so long. At last she said with solemn joy, Thomas Tugger, I told Miss Eulie I feared you was still in a state of nature, and alas, I am right, but how she'll mourn, how great will be her disappointment when she hears, and then I fell into a state of nature again. Now, Miss Annie, if the Lord, Miss Eulie, and you all could only see I'm a well-meaning man, and that I don't mean no disrespect to anybody, that is only one of my old rough ways that I learned from my father, and mother too, for that matter, I'm sorry to say, and have followed so long that it's bred in the bone, it would save a heap of worry. One must have some way of letting off steam. Now my wife, she purses up her mouth so tight you couldn't stick a pin in it when she's riled. I often say to her, Deuce blowed, open your mouth and let it all out at once. But she says it's not becoming for such as her to explode, but it will come out all the same, only it's like one of your cold northeast drizzling, fizzling rainstorms. And now I've made a clean breast of it. I hope you'll kinder smooth matters over with Miss Eulie, and I hope you, sir, will just think of what I said as spoken to a stranger and not a friend of the family. Give me your hand, Mr. Tugger. I hope we shall be the best of friends. I am coming over to have a smoke with you, and see if I can't fill your pipe with some tobacco that is like us both, in a state of nature. A white-faced woman appeared at the door, and curtsying low to Miss Walton, called, "'Husband, it's too late for you to be out. I fear your health will suffer.' "'She's bound up in me, you see,' said the old man, with a curious grimace. "'Nothing but the reading of my will will ever comfort her when I die.' "'Daddy, Daddy,' said Annie reproachfully, "'have charity. Good night. I will send you something nice for tomorrow.' An amused smile lingered on Gregory's face as they pursued their way homeward, now in the early twilight but Annie's aspect was almost one of sadness. After a little, he said, Well, he is one of the oddest specimens of humanity I ever met. She did not immediately reply, and he, looking at her, caught her expression. Why is your face so clouded, Miss Annie? he asked. You are not given to Mrs. Tugger's style of solemn joy. What a perplexing mystery life is, after all, she replied absently. I really think poor old Daddy Tugger speaks truly. He is a well-meaning man. But he and many others remind me of one not having the slightest ear for music trying to catch a difficult harmony. Why is the harmony so difficult? asked Gregory bitterly. Perhaps it were better to ask, why has humanity so disabled itself? I do not think it matters how you put the case. It amounts to the same thing. Something is required of us beyond our strength. The idea of punishing that old man for being what he is, when in the first place he inherited evil from his parents, and then was taught it by precept and example, I think he deserves more credit than blame. The trouble is, Mr. Gregory, evil carries its own punishment along with it every day, but I admit that we are surrounded by mystery on every side. Humanity left to itself is a hopeless problem, but one thing is certain, we are not responsible for questions beyond our kin. Moreover, many things that were complete mysteries to me as a child are now plain, and I ever hope to be taught something new every day. You and I, at least, have much to be grateful for in the fact that we neither inherited evil nor were taught it in any such degree as our poor neighbor. And you quietly prove, Miss Walton, by your last remark, that I am much more worthy of blame than your poor old neighbor. 
then i said more than i meant she answered eagerly it is not for me to judge or condemn any one the thought in my mind was how favored we have been in our parentage our start in existence as it were but suppose one loses that vantage ground i do not wish to suppose anything of the kind but one can lose it utterly i fear some can and do but why dwell on a subject so unutterably sad and painful you have not lost it and as i said before to-day i will not dwell upon the disagreeable any more than i can help your opinion of me is poor enough already miss walton so i too will drop the subject they had now reached the house and did ample justice to the supper awaiting them between meals people can be very sentimental morbid and tragical they can stare at life's deep mysteries and shudder or scoff sigh or rejoice according to their moral conditions they can even grow cold with dread as did gregory realizing that he had lost his vantage ground his good start in the endless career she is steering across unknown seas to a peaceful happy shore i am drifting on those same mysterious waters i know not whither he thought but a few minutes after entering the cheerfully lighted dining-room he was giving his whole soul to muffins these homely and ever-recurring duties and pleasures of life have no doubt saved multitudes from madness it would almost seem that they have also been the innocent cause of the destruction of many there are times when the mind is almost evenly balanced between good and evil some powerful appeal or startling providence has aroused the sleeping spirit or some vivifying truth has pierced the armor of indifference or prejudice and quivered like an arrow in the soul and the man remembers that he is a man and not a brute that perishes but just then the dinner-bell sounds after the several courses any physician can predict how the powers of that human organization must of necessity be employed the next few hours and the partially awakened soul is like one who starts out of a doze and sleeps again if the spiritual nature had only become sufficiently aroused to realize the situation life might have been secured thought and feeling in some emergencies will do more than the grandest pulpit eloquence quenched by a sunday dinner End of chapter 14